to open all ours a qpr podcast no david tonight so i'm flo lloyd hughes and um david and chris who is the birthday boy so he actually has a decent excuse not to be here uh but not many of us wanted to be here but we've managed to pull together four of us uh a global four but i'm joined by clive whittingham from lost words how are we um, I saw you unscrewing a bottle of wine there, so I won't guess as to how you're feeling. Yeah, I mean, what can, what can you say? <laughs> well, we're going to have to find something, otherwise it's going to be a short podcast. But uh, yeah, I thought wine might be needed. Tell it to the Pinot Grigio. Um, <laughs> Paul Finney is, uh, is there too with a lovely plant um, backdrop behind him. It's actually a thick um, flowers. But yeah, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> good great vibes great vibes and we're joined by um a patron and if anyone's interested in being a patron you could be with us too uh really getting depressed and moaning about football matches so if you want to do that you know you can recreate some of this this good fun we're joined by a patron who's also my brother mr theo lloyd hughes all the way from new orleans louisiana us of a hello theo Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm uh, I'm going to attempt to be at Osman Kakai today. Ah, oh, we we well, I mean that that that's a good start at least. Um, well, obviously, yeah, exactly. Obviously, everyone will be listening to this having known the result um, and are probably feeling pretty frustrated. I'm going to start with some positives from the Fulham game because. There's a lot to be frustrated and annoyed about, but I just want to talk about the positives first, maybe, so that we can not get too depressed. Positives, it was better than... What's that, Finney? I'm sitting down with popcorn. Wait, this one. This is going to be good. Go on. So positives compared to the first two games, so obviously those two 1-0 defeats to Barnsley and Charlton. Positives, energy was better urgency was better especially in the first half we worked a bit harder and we had two shots on target in one game and we scored a goal um a a, a few players actually looked like they wanted to be there and looked like they were trying plus um but that's it from me on the positives um I wonder if anyone else has any positives to add or just we'll just chime straight in with the other stuff uh any positives (laughs) I'm positively pissed off. <laughs> it was better. It was better, um, which in a way also makes it worse because if we played like that against Barnsley and Charlton, we wouldn't have had, we wouldn't have had a problem against those two. So to to up the performance level for Fulham and still lose, having played like we did against Barnsley and Charlton, was in its own way frustrating. Um, compare Bright's bizarre performance on Saturday against Charlton to his performance last night and wonder what's going on there. I mean, the simple fact is we've played Fulham twice this year. We've been the better team for large parts of those games. 
Um, in both games, we started well and scored first, basically the same goal twice. Um, and we've lo- and in both games, they've been without Mitrovic, and we've lost to them twice. And all four goals we've given them, well, exactly that. All four goals in those two games we've given them. Um, and it, you know, they've got better resources, and they're talking about being promoted, and we're in a different place. And I accept all of that, but you know, there is a, a pride in in local rivalries and local derbies, and we have gifted them to results and it wears a little bit thin you know talking about we defend as a team we defend from the front when you know in both games against Fulham this year the goalkeeper has just given just literally given them a goal and it's it is hard to be positive we were a lot better last night than we had been at Charlton on Saturday but it's still to go 1-0 up Amos that the Amos chance that he misses that Bright puts on a plate yeah, I'm I'm struggling to hold my tongue a little bit. Um, I know they're all frustrated, and you know, last night it did look like they were trying, and that's fine. Um, but it get, you get a bit sick of hearing about this. We defend as a team. We defend from the front when we're just doing our setup from corners, man. Our setup, our setup at defensive corners is driving me to an early grave. And we conceded at Charlton on Saturday from a corner. Hector had a free header from a corner last night that he headed straight at the keeper. It just, as much as I'm trying to take the positives and be positive and completely understand the situation we're in, and we'll talk about that more, I'm sure it's mind-blowingly frustrating to see us do that again, go 1-0 up, playing well, here we go, and to give it away, just in defensive mistakes. I I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I think you. I think one of the most frustrating things is because it, we played out exact same scenario that happened back at Craven Cottage. So it's like, did we learn nothing? Um, and what was worse is that we were playing a team, you know, in, in a lot worse form than when we played them back then, and also were performing terribly. They didn't play well last night. They just finished the opportunities they were given. Mistakes from Kelly. And I do think they do have a better team, like you said, Clive. But we we gave them those opportunities, and we we just relaxed at the times when you you, sh- you can't relax. And I think you touched on it there, but I think Warburton's comments after the game weren't the you know the best choice of words. And the man does love you know the same old cliches, and I think sometimes that doesn't help. I think sometimes you've just got to be a bit more real and not dip into the kind of manager 101 handbook of how to kind of defend your team when their backs are against the wall and they've lost three on the bounce and have played pretty poorly in two of those three games. And, you know, some of his comments after the game as well about real fans will understand where we're going. I think that's pretty questionable too because you're putting a lot of pressure and you're almost, you know, encouraging a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, not fight, but a bit of silliness on Twitter as well. Cause it's like, you know, real fans, a bit like when Holloway, Holloway came out after that um, Millwall game at home, when he said, you know, I can't believe some fans left or, and, you know, and it became, Brentford, it became game. Brentford game and it became a bit of a, you know, a bit of a battle. And I don't think that's the best thing to do between the fans to kind of stir up, you know, a bit of a kind of, I think, we are in a weird place and we'll talk about that later as Clive mentioned, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just feels a bit empty. Finney, um, I know you've got, you've got a big rant planned. So do you want to get started? 
No, actually, do you know what? Listen to Clive's calm me down because I think Clive said it for superior as always than I could have done. I'm just sick to death of losing to Fulham, Brentford, London Derbies, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, I'm quite prepared. You go one nil up in the first minute of a team that's just been dicked by Leeds and without the, the, the um, Bruce Lee up front for them. Um, and you kind of think, OK, we, we've got a chance here. And then the goals were just shocking. I mean, the, the, the first one was bad, but the second one, the closing down was appalling. And, you know, you can say, like, Clive, you can defend in the front all you want, but if you can't get your foot in front of a, a, a guy that hits it four yards in front of himself and block it, then what the hell are you doing on a professional football pitch? It's a nonsense. And I'm looking at the squad and I'm thinking, where has the transfers in the summer improved us? And they haven't really, and that's that's being honest. The um, Kugel is good, uh, Naki Wells is good. That's a lot of money. Um, and then you've got Kelly. Is he better than Lumley? Not really. Um, you've got Cameron, who's decent. We knew that anyway. Then you've got Barbet, who's just the most bizarre footballer I've, I've I've seen in a long time. And we've just got a transfer policy. Matt Smith came. He got paid a lot of money. He's now got the child, and you know it's just. We've got it wrong again, and it's just it's. And if we end up in a relegation battle from like before, they all came on. Les, Chris, Mark came on. They're honest. They were decent. We got positive. I'm never fucking doing that again in this podcast ever again. Where you get them on, they tell you things. You fall into the trap of going, "Do you know what? Fucking hell, yes." And then you look at that first goal against Fulham, and you want to throw everything through the window. I mean, that shot was so weak. If it was pissed, it wouldn't hit the toilet bowl. It was embarrassing, and you shouldn't should not in local derbies be losing games. I don't care what any manager says, but it's Holloway, it's Warburton, if it's my mother even. That was bad last night because we went one and up. They're not a good side. They're going to struggle at the moment. They're not in a good place. They were beatable. They were there for the taking, and as usual, we just let them back in the game, and there's no bounce back with us. Once someone goes like the second goal within, our heads went down, the ability that we had before that where we kept pressing and pressing and pressing and went out the window and everyone's heads dropped and I find that frustrating because where's your pride? Where's your I know you hit saying passion, pride, whatever, but you've got to have something in these games. Otherwise what's the freaking point? You know, we get dicked by Fulham all the time. We get dicked by Brentford all the time. You're even gonna go up and make it look stupid. And you can talk about wage bills, you can talk about everything else, but at the end of the day it's eleven against eleven. Get your freaking tactics right and don't come on there and say real fans, we're all real fans. You don't support QPR for the glory. If you are, you're shortchanging yourself and you should piss off now. We're all real fans. And it doesn't matter how a manager sees that, we're all real fans because managers will go to another job. They'll go, they'll leave, we'll stay here. So that's a nonsense. And I just wish we had something positive to say about anything other than Bright Samuel, who was playing well, then got taken off. I don't get that. I don't get this. I don't get why we signed Mark Pugh. And then we had to play so many games. He gets another extension of his contract. So we have to get rid of him. I don't get all these things. And then you see, you see Burnley going to Bloody Palace with two goalkeepers on the bench with a small sword, but putting in the effort. Ah! Well, mate, Bright, uh, Bright was injured. It was a, it was a horrible tackle on him as well. So I, I very much doubt he'll be playing at Middlesbrough. I thought that was a, okay. I thought that was probably a red card tackle on Bright from uh, from Knockhart. I, I, that was a bit of a horror. Um, I mean, I'll come. I'll come back on a number of those points, but you should. Uh, we should probably let the guest. Uh, let the guest. Yeah, Theo. Well, I was going to say you. You've been watching before. that. What's I that? Forgot, I forgot to say about Amos as well. Some people made a man of the match. I want to know which player they're watching. I thought he had one of his better games, 
but he's still not a good player. Sorry, Theodore. I don't know. Theo, you're all right. you've uh, been watching you've been watching Rangers abroad for for a while now, so you know this detached experience that we're obviously not enjoying. What was your feelings about last night? I think, kind of like everyone said, last night was sort of the best of a bad bunch, but in a way that hurt more because the closer you get to something like victory and the more you let it slip through your fingers, that's more painful than maybe just not showing up. Um, I think Ryan Manning, if we're really looking for positives, I think was pretty good last night and has been pretty good since the uh, the restart. I think the wing-back formation, obviously we haven't really mentioned that uh, Wolverton kind of flipped to three five two last night, which I thought was a bit surprising. Um, and used Osman Kakai, who obviously hasn't really played much as a, as a sort of centre-back on the right-hand side, which was kind of a bit odd, um, with Cameron almost as like a 1980s, 1990s style sweeper. Um, but yeah, I think Manning's really excelled. He obviously had those two headers at the end of the game uh, from the corners, one of them came off the bar, and he obviously got the assist for uh, Hugo's goal. Uh, and he almost had the assist for one, a good Hugo chance against Charlton on Saturday as well. And so I kind of think the fullbacks are doing all right. I think when you watched in this detached format, it makes things more frustrating because you're still so disconnected. But in a way, especially with the pandemic, especially with bigger things in life, I think, apologies, there's a train going by my house right now, by the way, in case anyone can hear that. Um, uh, I think, yeah, I think it, it actually makes it slightly easier. Like, I don't personally take as much pain away from losing to Fulham last night as I have done in the past from games going to Craven Cottage or going to Griffin Park or being at Office Road. So I actually think you can detach yourself a little bit more and I hope people aren't getting too wound up, especially, I mean, maybe this is a really kind of idealist thing to say, but I, when you're not paying as much ticket money, you're not, you know, getting the, the drive down from wherever you live and you're not going on the away day, I, I find it easier to uh, run, roll with the punches. Um, That's me, definitely true because when I was away for a year, the year we got relegated second in like my sort of support a lifetime for the Premier League 14-15 sorry yeah 14-15 I, I didn't feel very painful because I was in America for a whole year and I was watching games on NBC Premier League and it was it was easier to take I definitely agree with that I think in a, in a weird twist of fate as well I think fans should feel validated it, it sounds a bit twisted but if the team is not playing with that much heart we're giving up at the end of game I think it's actually a validation that us being there means something. And so if fans want to cling to anything, flip it on its head and say, maybe QPR needs you more than ever. And obviously that's tough to watch because we're not going to be there. But I think that's like a positive swing. Do you know what? If we, take, we have to keep coming back to the start of the season and what we expected. And um, Finn, I, I thought you were pretty harsh saying that none of the signings have improved us because you you have to remember what happened back in the summer in that we had to cut the wage bill and get rid of so many players. So we have actually got a better team than we had this time last season when we won like three of the last 23 games, I think. Um, and we had to change that whole team in the summer and, and do that on a budget. To remember, we a lot of people were expecting us to get relegated this season. So we we shouldn't like get sucked into we've lost the games. But Clive, you're paying Dougal and Wells almost premiership wages on two players. Now, you could tell me that's not true, but we all both know that, that that's the case. And Matt Smith would have come with a loan agreement fee as well. So yes, these players aren't coming here for free. They're, they're costing a lot of money. 
I'm well aware that the loan players are costing a lot of money, and we've we've spoken about why we have why at the moment we're having to loan strikers in. Um, I mean, I would I would say Wells and Hugel have been successful loans this year, and we would struggle to have got strikers that have scored that many goals um, in the transfer market on a permanent basis. Um, so I don't I don't Billy. mind that so much, and I. You would surely admit that the wage, the wage bill, and the cost of this squad this year is going to be less than it was last year, which is it's going in the right direction, and the squad is better. We've lost these three games. But we shouldn't forget that a fortnight ago we were talking about how much we've enjoyed the season. You know, there's been good performances and whatever. You know, we're hiring the league with exceeded expectations. I'm I'm as annoyed as you are at the three games we've played and you know particularly losing two more london derbies I, i'm annoyed as well but we shouldn't we should, we should try and keep it in the big picture of and and also obviously they they lost a couple of experienced players um prior to lockdown so so that's important but you know i'm i'm annoyed as well and i think what is it we've conceded 66 goals this season now i think we conceded 71 last season so we're going and 70 this season before. So it's going to be three consecutive seasons conceding 70 goals or more. And I think we conceded 66 the season before that. So as, as much as I'm supportive and happy with how it's gone and think he did a good job in the circumstances, and I, I disagree with you that I, I didn't think the transfer business last summer was that bad. I thought we did quite well to put the team we have done on the pitch for the money we paid. You can't concede 70 goals a season and you can't keep talking about defending as a team and defending from the front when your goalkeepers are consistently throwing the ball in the net, when your defenders are defending like they are from corners. When we're conceding the goals we are, that that's that's annoying. I'm trying to keep it in the big picture of everything and not get too annoyed at these three games. But, but yeah, it is tough. Well, no, there's, just... sorry, sorry, Theodore, go ahead. Sorry, mate. I was just going to say, I think you just had to look at Liam Kelly's reaction to uh, Cyrus Christie's goal last night to see that the players do care and that they're as frustrated that they're not defending as a team. Brighton, Manning, neither of them picked up Christie. And by the way, because I know this is something we like to follow, that was Christie's first goal in the league for Fulham. He'd never scored before. So tick that box. Um, and it, it, was, you know, it was a beautiful strike, but you could see Kelly was fuming that neither Brighton nor Manning closed him down. I, I, again, it's like, I think we've lost that urgency. We've lost that step. And I don't think it necessarily means the players don't care. I just think that they're, they're kind of capitulating under circumstances. You've got to put it in the context of everything that's happened, right? And Clive, you mentioned actually, you know, given the circumstances, we, I guess we could have, could have potentially seen this coming, but we can't compare it to last season because a, you know, nearly four month break without playing football um, and then the expectation to start things back where they were is impossible. So I think you have con- we have to also remember to contextualise this period in this moment. And when you look at the results, you know, across a lot of the championship as well, is that the teams who play quite a basic, I would say one-dimensional, at times route one type of football are sort of benefiting a little bit against other teams who maybe do require a bit of a warm-up. And we required that a little bit at the start of the season. Um, and we, we, you know, we had some really good runs and we were on a good run up to the point of lockdown. And obviously we've lost that momentum. And when you contextualise it in that sense, 
and we remember that the majority of the season, like Clive said, was good, then I think that's really important to forget, you know, not, yeah, to not forget what happened and just think about this weird moment in time that's never going to happen again, fingers crossed. I think, I think that's, I think, I I think that's pretty generous if I, if I'm honest, because although we were better last night, um, the, the Barnsley and Charlton performances are not acceptable and all of that, you know, like we said, it was weird how hot and heavy they came out against the restart date. You know, no other club did that. And we came out screaming and shouting about not liking the restart, restart date and then played like that against Barnsley and Charlton. It's not acceptable. And, you know, other clubs have managed to come back from this and perform at a reasonable standard that we didn't meet in those first two games. You know, Warburton himself says we let ourselves down and that's fine. But I, like Finn, I didn't like his... I know he's frustrated and I don't know whether he reads stuff or hears stuff or sees it on social media or people tell him what people are saying and he gets frustrated. I'm sure he is frustrated because he had this young team that was in form. This lockdown's happened. Now suddenly he's having to deal with this. He's lost experienced players. Everything we've talked about, I'm sure he is frustrated, but I really don't like it when you start talking about good fans and bad fans and the good fans will understand this and the bad fans won't. And, you know, we all have our disagreements, you know, me and Finn disagree on, you know, countless occasions about countless things, but, you know, Finney goes to every game, I go to every game. Fans are entitled to their opinion and it, you lose you lose 1-0 at home to Barnsley for the first time since 1950. You lose 1-0 at Charlton. Charlton are crap, let's be honest. Charlton are crap. You lose 2-1 at home to Fulham. The second time this year, you handed Fulham another two goals from a 1-0 position. You know, that's, it's not acceptable and fans have a right to say, well, you know, that was a bit shit. Why, you know, why is he doing it? And of course we understand the situation. We under- He's right. We understand. We can see the young players that are coming through. We know he's having to rely on academy graduates. We know there are obviously injuries. We know we've had to release it. We know all of that, but I, I really didn't like that. The good fans will understand and the bad fans won't because I feel like I understand the circumstances working under but I still don't think it's acceptable over the last 10 days to chuck out those three performances and just chuck your hands up and go, well, it's a team of kids and there's a pandemic. What, what more do you want? Because other teams have coped fine. I think that's a great point. I, I, I think it's important that Wolves doesn't uh, pass the buck. I think owning disappointment is as important as owning victory. And I think knowing that he can get more out of these players and has got more out of these players, I think should be held up even considering the pandemic. And I think, yeah, like you said, entirely in the fans for their opinion is like the most important thing about being at football club at the end of the day. I think what's really, what's really worrying is how history is repeating itself a little bit with, you know, this time, well, I guess this point in the season last year, not this, t- this time last year, but when McLaren was coming to the end of his um, unsuccessful reign at the club, you know, we were talking about the fact that there wasn't a good competition for places and therefore players weren't performing. And I think the only, the only excuse he can grab onto is the young players because he's, that's the only way to create a bit of competition among the team is to say, oh, well, this 19-year-old might take your place in the starting lineup, so watch your back. Because otherwise, there is, no, there is no competition and it feels like there's nothing to play for. Now, I know we could technically get dragged into a relegation fight if we you know, really do go on a terrible, continue this run. 
But in reality, none of these players see, see like there's anything to play for. Most of them are, are playing in order to get a move away. So how do you create that? How do you motivate them? And how do you also say, you know, your place isn't safe? Because that is not coming across on the pitch at all because they're all sort of, you know, turning it on and turning it off, uh, you know, in, in, in short periods. And that's not good enough, really. You're paid to do a job. So he keeps getting very aggy and agitated when people say that. He's like, oh, they're professional athletes and this and that. And last, and again, I want, you know, in the wider context of the season, Warburton is night and day to McLaren to me. I think Warburton's done a good job. I've, I think he speaks a lot of sense. I've enjoyed the way we've played and I've enjoyed the season, you know, on the whole. Um, but he, you know, he gets very aggy about, oh, they're professional athletes and, it's derog- I think he said it was derogatory and ignorant to say that they weren't trying and say that they had nothing to play for. And last night, for a good while, you know, the performance was fine and they were pressing full and high. They were getting results. They were pressuring errors out of the goalkeeper. That's fine. But the performances against Barnsley and Charlton, it spoke for themselves. You can say it's derogatory and ignorant, but the players looked like they looked, they looked like they either, I'm trying to avoid saying they weren't bothered. I just, I thought one or two players looked like they were in a self-preservation mode because they don't know whether they're going to be here next year. They think they might have a big move at, at the end of this little nine-game period. They don't really want to be snapping a hamstring or or anything. That's what it looked like to me in those Barnsley and Charlton games. You compare Bright's performance against Charlton away to Bright's performance against Charlton at home in December. It's absolute night and day. He annihilated that fullback hours in December like he absolutely tortured him look at the the second goal that Pew scored against Charlton in December and then on Saturday every time he got the ball he came in field and played a simple pass a, a simple safe pass backwards or sideways and killed the attack so I know he's getting aggy and I can see why he's getting aggy at it but those performances against Barnsley and Charlton spoke for themselves last night was better and again I'm setting it in the context of I like Warburton I think he's done a great job and I'm happy with the season um, but yeah, some of his comments just lately, have, you know, they betray his frustration and yeah, I, I don't know what to say. Really. Finney, I know you want to oh, jump in quickly. Oh, no. yeah, Finney, you go. No, I was just going to add that. Oh, sorry, you go. <laughs> go ahead. I was just going to add that I looked at some stats on Bright because I was intrigued to talk about the drop-off and uh, since in the last three games, he actually leads the team in pass completion. He's made 95% of his passes across the three games, but is in the bottom three in the team for total touches. And I th- and he hasn't had a single shot on or off target. And I think it shows that he's not trying things. I think he's not playing risky passes. He's not trying to beat players. He's just playing the simple ball back to the fullback. And I think you're, you're I don't want to question his desire because, but I definitely think maybe the, la- the lack of move- movement and urgency around him and the lack of desire to like have a go, I think it's kind of just affecting the team mentally. And you're seeing that with these high pass completion stats which aren't really going anywhere because they're just playing the easy ball sorry Penny. yeah no, no I agree it's fine I think I think I don't think anyone's saying the players aren't trying I don't think they're saying they're shaking the responsibility to me Barnsley and Charlton we were in the modern terms of modern words at Tottenham football massively undercooked um, last night we came out and we, we gave it a go and just surrendered again I mean Hugo's not going to be there next season Bright Samuel's not going to be there next season. Ezzy's not going to be there next season. And as again, it's going to be definitely whatever happens, it's going to be another rebuilding job. Amos is not going to be there, blah, blah, blah. So when I say about the transfers, it's like we, 
if we're going to finish four or five places above where we were last season, I'm totally with it. And I'm not saying we're field again, but I'm just so sick. And we have a club. I've become far too used to losing to Fulham and Brentford and all these other teams. And we fire the excuses in every time. We're rebuilding, we're rebuilding, we're rebuilding, we're rebuilding. And we still keep losing. And I think it would be nice. Some, I mean, if every club in the championship, let's be honest, even before this outbreak, wasn't massively backed. There's not a lot of money in this championship apart from seven or eight clubs. So you, you can make a case that we could have tried a little bit more to to, to get the money right and, and the strike money we spent on strikers and to keep maybe Naki Wells would have been a massive difference. But we hadn't had them, so we'll probably be at bottom three now. That's a fact. Um, I'm just sad that we had so much promise and yet we're going to get dragged into another dogfight and I'm sick of the dogfights. It's it's like, it's grown talk day. And I think we've seen this team has ability. This team has the ability to play bloody good football. It's just changing the game when we're losing seems to be a massive problem. Benny, I just have a question on on the lone striker thing. Would you? We obviously had Naki for sort of a season and a half. We've had Hugo for you know a yeah. season. Would you rather take a punt, two, three, four million quid? Although we don't really have that in the budget, but hypothetically, would you rather take a punt on another Connor Washington and have him for three years, or would you have a loanee for another year? Well, it's it's neither or, is it? It's get the right players for the right time. You know, yeah, fair enough. You know, it's, it's 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 that simple. It's like, you know, all the, a lot of clubs are finding players. You don't have to spend... I know me and Clive always disagree on this, and it's fine, because I like Clive, even with the new haircut, which looks a bit weird. But um, and I can talk, I'm bold. Um, but it's down to scouting and getting the right players in at the right time to fit the squad. You can buy... You can buy an experienced striker and bring someone in who's going to push on and do... What we want as a club is players to come in from lower leagues, from a youth, whatever... They have three or four good seasons, like Eze, and then they go on to bigger things that they can, and they improve us at the same time. That's what we're trying to go back. I to think. Do. I guess the problem is, is that it's harder to do that. It's harder to have that success, and our fa- our failures in the transfer market at signing good players and reinvesting funds means that now we are scared to take the risk, and it's you know, less risky to bring in a loan player. And if they're shit, they just go back where they came from. Do you know what I mean? Whereas yeah. with, with everything over the last couple of seasons and the Connor Washington prime example, we basically terrified ourselves about reinvestment and it just seems easier now to keep moving with the loan players. So it's so hard to build the identity that we're longing for and that Chris Ramsey and Les Fern now are trying to do because who knows who's going to stick around. And next year, you know, I'm getting even more worried about next season now because the games we're having now feels like the sort of games we would have had next season, the start of what would have been 2021 in August. It feels like we're going through that now. I think Manning could is probably going to be going as well, you know, by the sounds of things. We're going to be losing a really big chunk of this team and I'm kind of like... Where do we go from there? I mean, you know, Warburton has done a good job what he has, but he's going to have, you know, by the looks of things, even less to work with next season. And that is a real worry. We said, we said all of that. We said all of that this time last year. And we, we like, we basically changed the whole squad in the summer, like 16 in and 16 out. And we came out of it. We came out of it. Okay. We came out of it better. I think the the striker situation I think the market's been skewed over the last few years and it, it might play into our hands if there is this big economic tumbling down coming because what you had was you had Newcastle come into the championship, 
just spending 100 million quid. You had Aston Villa coming into the championship and you have like Stoke, have these clubs coming out of the Premier League into the championship with parachute payments. And it's driven the cost of strikers up to a stupid amount where like Dwight Gale now costs you 10 million pounds. And, you know, Dwight Gale's just bog standard championship centre for you. know, Ross McCormack moves for 12 million pounds three times in three years. Lewis Graben costs eight, nine, ten million pounds. Ashley Fletcher, twelve million. Be Ash, next yeah, yeah. Braceweight went to Middlesbrough for four. As- Asombalonga costs twenty million, and this that's FC Barcelona's this- Braceweight to you. Yeah, well, <laughs> okay, name, name, me, name me. All right, Ollie Watkins. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, so, he was, he was, he was quid basically anyone at Brentford. Finney is that that'll get you that'll get you there the are, numbers. There are I'm great not... exa- There are great examples the other way. Tom Bradshaw went to Millwall for a million quid, and Barnsley picked him up cheek. You know he's he's handy, and like you say, Corley Woodrow as well. Lyle Taylor was cheap from Wimbledon. So there there are odd examples, but in general, the striker market has reached and. Basically, our version of that, our gamble was Connor Washington, and it failed. And we also tried with Silla and Poulter and things like that. So the strike, the striker market is different. Is why we do that, rely on loans? Is that is that because we got we're not scouting the right sort of players, then, or we haven't been scouting the right sort of strikers for the last three seasons and four seasons? But there's if not that much like, good stuff out there, though. That's probably well, with any position. You can't, you can't say that. That's like saying you can't. In find order, I, but I think in order to take a risk and actually throw some money down when you're a club like us you need to be I feel like we need to now be confident in our investments so confident we have to, we have to be shrewd with these investments and but, there is too much uncertainty out there with players but Flo in all in all you know when people say with greatest respect they don't mean any respect I'm not going to do that in all honesty I don't think Messi will come to QPR Okay. So, of course I've done, but like you know, think how many duds have come through the doors in the last couple of last couple of you know, decade. That, but that's that we've changed managers, we've changed managers, we've changed managers, and we changed managers, and we're still not finding these. Look, we're better. Don't get me wrong. On the wall, but this has been better, and you can see what we're trying to do. But there's going to be another massive rebuild. We can't seem to find them strikers. But there's other clubs that have changed managers and had success. There's twenty. There's twenty four clubs. There's twenty four clubs in the championship over the last three years. When we've been trying to find this striker, how many strikers can you name that have moved for? What's our budget now, really, for a striker? One one point five two million. I mean, how many really if we don't good strikers anyone. can you think of in the championship that have moved for free or for one or two million? You can probably name a few. Like I said, Lyle Taylor, Tom Bradshaw, people like Guys, that. Really class season. Six, but the twenty four teams in the championship. What about the, okay, Preston, Preston got um, got Hugo from Poolville. You had Preston got the guy from the Southern Irish League. You had then. You, you've um, just told me Hugo's shit. I didn't say we shit, Clive. But we tried that, Finney. We've tried that. We've dipped into the well, Irish market and got players on the cheap. Don't put words in my mouth, Clive. We got never... we got David we got David Wheeler as well. That didn't seem to work out either. We've tried these things. We've thrown money in, and it hasn't worked. And now you know it seems like the safest thing to do is get a loan player because there is not that much good stuff out there. Yeah, but Clive, like, like, like Finn says, you know, Hugo went like Hugo went to Preston was well scouted. There are six, six, seven, eight, nine, ten examples, but there are twenty four teams in the championship. We do need to do better. I'm not I'm not just defending them, but I have. I do think the striker market has been inflated and I'm hoping that this economic thing drags it down from this ridiculous position now where 
Gary Medine is like six, seven, eight million pound. You know, eight million pound buys you Gary Medine. Exactly. We can't. We can't afford to play with the silly amounts for crap. Basically, you can't, you can't keep looking at the top level that don't work. And Clive, I never said he was shit. Just for the record, that's you saying that, not me. Okay. Um, Lo- but, love you, Jordan. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying that either. But you can't keep looking at the top <laughs> and expecting. Right, we, we can't buy 10 million, so we're just going to keep loaning. We're going to pay 25, 30 grand a week in players. Bloody bad, they're never going to be ours. And then have to keep loaning every season. We have to produce our own. Yeah, and but what we're doing instead is going down the younger option and trying to then create the Eze to almost bankroll the potential for someone in the future again. That's the, what we're doing now instead. But it just takes years to pull these things off. Well, not really. You just have decent scouts who can. You tell your scouts what you want, and you try. You just don't go right. Who who's available loan? Let's grab two strikers in the start of the season, throw them in, and put all in one basket. And then at the end of the season, they're not yours. And unless you improve, but I'm not. I'm look, Finney, I'm not saying we're a club that does this, but we know what football's like. It's a old boys club and it's jobs for the boys scouts a lot of the time you know are mates with so and so mates with agents and it's all a little hookup it's all a dirty little game in the inside so so much of the time you're probably not getting the player you necessarily want you're getting a player that's being pushed on you by somebody else or in Warburton's case I'm not saying this is bad but he went for lots of players that he'd worked with at previous clubs and that's kind of how it works unfortunately even if you get the, the quote-unquote best scouts there's still going to be established relationships that you know pull harder some of the time and work you know more in favor of certain players and that's the reality of course we all want the best players who fit so and so but I just you know football's kind of fallen apart in that sense it's just become so murky now that is why we you know we ended up with so much crap all those years ago and we're still paying the price for it well, the reason why we ended up with crap years ago, we didn't scope properly. We were playing championship manager with bin lids. That pretty much summed it up, I think. But no, we, we, could, we could scope better. We could do better. And we should be doing better. And it's just, I'm just so frustrated because year after year, you think we're going to do something. We're going to, I don't want promotion. I don't want FA Cups. I don't even want like 19 winning screams. I want to see improvement, but I also want to see us go into the derbies and show some fucking intent. And last night... I don't want it to sound like I'm just disagreeing with you on the on the scouting thing, because I, I completely agree. There are clubs, and, uh, you know, Preston is certainly one of them, um, who who pay less money than us and scout better. Scout in lower leagues, scout in Ireland. You know, there's a good... I'm not... I'm, I, while I'm saying that I understand the striker market at the moment and why we end up loaning players... I do understand the problem with that because sometimes you get someone that's bothered and actually cares about it. And then sometimes you get Tom Ahmed. So I understand the problems with that. And there are also clubs that go out there and scout, scout a lot better than us. There's absolutely no denying that. So I, I'm not disagreeing with you on that. Yeah, you wanted Bloody to hell. come in, I think. Bloody hell, I'm, I'm recording that. I want that kept and I'm going to keep playing it all season. <laughs> We're going to make a t-shirt of that one. I, I mean, I kind of wanted to just slightly move away from uh, you know <laughs> move on you want us to move on well, but we I might. just think I, I feel like the striker thing is kind of being done to death and I, I think everyone is right everyone has great opinions and obviously I think it's something very, the fans are very passionate about I think maybe where I think things might become more challenging or like we're going to have more questions is kind of like the development of you know why are we loaning in Jack Clark or why are we loaning in Luke Amos if uh, you know are, are, the, are we developing these players 
that we could, you know, Ilias Clair or like maybe obviously Amos is more of a deep lying kind of playmaker, center midfielder, kind of box to box. It's almost like those players I think are easier to find. You know, we kind of did it once with, with Scoen who looked all right for a while. And I kind of feel like I'd almost like to see us, the striker market looks really hard, but the other, other positions, you know, Connor Masterson's kind of showed promise. It's like a, a free pickup. It's kind of like other positions I'd like to see us doing it more. I'm not as bothered about the striker. And in a way, maybe the biggest disappointment of the restart player-wise is potentially Don Ball. Uh, I don't want to throw him under the bus, but he was playing so well, so well before we before the pandemic. And I thought he was awful last night. And has really struggled at like filling that gap between the midfield where obviously both Fulham goals came from that second ball coming down and then just a big shot. And he was also one of the players who was one of the three players who was marking Darren Prattley at the corner. Uh, him and Barbe were out jumped. And so I think it's players like Don Ball who we were really developing and, and doing it the right way, doing it like Preston, you know, like Clive was saying. And I think seeing those players drop off is maybe more disheartening than Hugo, who Hugo just feels like he's, you know, he's here for a bit and we all we'll kiss him goodbye. I think on the, on the, the Jack Clark, Luke Amos loans, I think one way they can, they may be seeing a shortcut out of our financial issue is to be, you know, like not quite a B team by stealth, but we could be a place that Arsenal, Tottenham park these promising youngsters and and then we maybe get a bit of a kick like Derby did the season before last with Wilson and Mount and Takori. I think that's what they kind of envisage, but obviously Jack Clark, Luke Amos, Matt Smith haven't been anywhere near the standard of that. Um I don't know if any of those have particularly obstructed anybody we've got coming through, because um, that's obviously not what you want. Um, it's, those loans have been have been very disappointing. Also, when you look at, I mean, I don't want to. We could literally talk about the youth youth, youth set up all day, and I know in previous episodes we have. But also, when you look at the changes that the FA brought in, it's kind of shaking things up a little bit with trying to develop and make money as well. But let's not go into that too deeply. Um, let's move on because I feel like we're, otherwise we're just going to get too bogged down and go around in circles a little bit. But... Um, What's that? A bit like our strikers. <laughs> um, ooh, cheers to that with the Clive with his wine. Um, Borough. Anyone? <laughs> Perfect timing. I mean, if as if we hadn't had enough uh, Warnock this season, you know, I felt like well, I saw Warnock more than my, you know, most of the people I love during the pandemic. And, you know, here he is again, popping up, you know, on a Sunday. Uh, I think, I don't, I'm not very confident personally. I think, it's, I think it's just really bad timing for us to be playing a team that, uh, as he put it in a quote from their win, uh, his first game, their win over Stoke, I love the lads died for me out there. And so I just think we're going to be playing a team that are going to be absolutely dying for each other. And he made six changes. He brought in Brit the Samba Longa uh, for the, out of the wilderness, who, again, to give you some, some knowledge on who's going to score on your, on your ACA on Sunday, Brit Samba Longa has not scored for Middlesbrough since the 9th of November. Um, so it just feels like it's we're going to lose 1-0. They're going to get a goal and dig in and put 10 behind the ball and we'll be knackered by the 60th minute. It's the Warnock bounce. It's the Warnock bounce. Like, we, there's no, we can't, there's nothing we can do. We're just going to get rolled over by the Warnock bounce. He just knows what he's doing, doesn't he? He just knows. I mean, we, we all know that 
Like, who we shocked they beat Stoke last week? I mean, the only thing that's going to save us from a dogfight, let's be honest, is the fact that Wigan have gone into administration and Stoke and Hull are trying their best to build themselves into League One. Um, but yeah, Middlesbrough, they probably will beat us because we'll, we'll get them playing and it's just, yeah, it's just a bit depressing. But I wish Theodore had said that. I really, really, it's like Clive did a week and he said that. And I was just like, why did you say about Barnsley not winning since 1950? You know what you've done. And stupidly, I went and watched the game. I get myself. Carry on. I think we know. Five. I think we. I think we know what Middlesbrough are going to look like, and I think we know what we're going to look like. So I, you know, it's it's not going to be pretty, is it? Um, Does anyone want to do a score prediction, or is that just going to be totally pointless? Probably, probably something. One nil, Barra. I think yeah. they'll take. I think. I think. If you, if you were... say they have another player that Warnock brought in from the cold last week against Stoke, who should be one to watch. Uh, he's a player that I feel like Clyde would absolutely uh, distrust because he was a kind of uh, youth pheno- phenomenon at Fulham, but then signed for Man City when he was like 17 and has never played for Man City, um, which is Patrick Roberts, who was part of Brendan Rodgers' team at Celtic, went on loan to Norwich at the beginning of the year, didn't get a game. Now he's on loan at Borough. Warnock put him in the starting 11 on uh, against Stoke. And so I think he might play again. And he's, I just feel like he's the kind and of player. And score a hat trick. Great. Yeah. Well, he's the kind of player who's going to give us some trouble as well. What worries me is that if you're Warnock or any manager worth his salt, which we know Warnock is, you, you're going to look at the, um, the defence and Kelly and you're going to say pepper them from all angles, just fire the ball in, hit it from anywhere. Get in their face. Up. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, because Manning, I mean, Manning, um, on, a, on a, you know, he's trying his best, but he also looks like he could possibly pick up two yellows soon. And Amos, I mean, he, he did a really daft challenge last night as well, which, really got, which would have maybe got sent off if your man hadn't have rigged up with the um, knockout challenge so he couldn't do him. It's just frustrating and they're frustrated. But, you know, if we're looking for a first win, um, it would be so QPR to beat Fulham. I said that, so we, can't, we haven't done that. Beat Millsburg, <laughs> probably not. Um, probably beat West Brom, stop them going up, and um, that'll be the QPR we know and love, and lose every other game. Probably, I don't know. I give up. I'm prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we'll keep three five? Does, it, does anyone think there'll be any changes or formation changes? I was surprised to see the Fulham team, but I I would like to think. I mean, it'll be interesting about Bright's injury, so that might force quite a lot of changes. Uh, I do like chair in the team. But we played the majority of the season with Chair becoming a bit more of an impact sub. So perhaps we'll pr- play the Fulham lineup, but maybe switch in um, Shadipo or Chair for Ose Samuel. But I thought last night we did look better. So it would make sense to, to stick with that team. And I thought Kakai did really well. So I'd like to see him retain his spot. I'd be surprised if Bright plays, looking at the way he went off last night. But with, you know, um... Obviously not a doctor, so we'll see. <laughs> you know, I can't blame him. Knockout's challenge was gruesome. I mean, why yeah, was it? Yeah, it was a horrible, it was horrible. It was a horrible tackle. It's like one of those halfway between a yellow and a red challenges. But Clive, yeah. who do you think, in all honesty, who do you think can step up from the under 23s who we can bring in? Is there a glimmer of hoping that on the 23s team that can they can maybe get a chance? Because now is your chance, isn't it? If we can just get enough points to stay up we can bring in the, the youngsters who who else is knocking on that door that's what I want to know I got, well one I don't watch enough of the under 23s to know and two they've said at the fans forum last week that the under 23s are furloughed um, yes. so that even if they wanted to have them they can't they've brought Batach and Gubbins 
and bless him, Charlie Owens, who immediately has blown his knee out again. But apart from that, I think uh, the rest of the under-23s are furloughed and unavailable to us. Um, they also said that players who'd been out on loan on season-long loans, um, which is Hammerlinen, uh, Dalling and Dieng, uh, the league have relaxed the rule on that, but only to the extent that you can only play them if you don't have another player physically available that's ever played in that position before. So basically, uh, to give you an example of that, the only way we can play Dieng in goal is if Kelly, Lumley and uh, Barnes are all injured and unavailable. That's, so I think even if they wanted to bring under-23s in at this point, we're basically restricted to Batash, uh, Gobbin and Gobbins now that... Uh, now that Charlie Owens is is injured again because they've furloughed them on the the other uh, a small intrigue when we were talking about the goalkeeping errors earlier seems odd to me to come back for the summer games um like this with the goalkeeping coach still on furlough um Gavin Gavin Ward hasn't come back um I think I gather he lives quite a long way away up in the Midlands or something and the, the commuting was problematic for the shortened training and whatever but we you know we're a professional championship football club who've had problems with the goalkeeping all year to be uh, would it just adds to this we're going to sack these nine games off kind of uh mentalities and to have the goalkeeper coach on furlough while we're playing professional matches and the goalkeepers are you know making horrendous errors that that seemed a little odd to me sorry to go off on it on a tangent no totally I think, totally and i, I think, think it's the, a great point yeah the overall, that, 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 it doesn't set the greatest tone, does it? I mean, to be fair, doing that's not going to save you. Let's be honest, is it? I mean, that's just, that's quite bizarre. I don't get yeah. that at all. It's about the sort of tone and the message it sends out about these yeah. nine games that, yeah. you know, all of these are on furlough and the goalkeeping coach is on furlough. And it's obviously tough times. But like I say, some teams have coped a lot better than others and we, we don't seem to have coped at all with it. And just but I think... stuff, stuff like that doesn't really sit very easily with me. But it, it felt also, it never really felt like, obviously the fans were sort of talking about the playoffs, but it never felt like that was a narrative within the club, also within what they were putting out, within what Warburton was saying, what with Lee Hoos and our conversation with them on the podcast. So obviously, if you're not putting out that message publicly, then what are you telling to the players in terms of what do these games mean? Because it doesn't seem like they were really focusing on that as an expectation. I mean, some of us weren't either anyway, but then it's like, well, well what are we playing for? What is the point? And then I guess it's, if that it's runs through everything as well. I guess it's both what you're telling them and also what you're subconsciously yeah, putting, exactly. putting, putting across to them and, you know, and also, you know, we spoke to Liam Kelly and I said on this podcast, he seemed miserable. So if you're saying, right, I know you felt crap for three months and you, you know, all you want to do is play football. How are you going to motivate that guy to say, you know, I know you're playing football now, but like, you know, what are you playing for? Like, make it mean something. That is so hard to do when someone's just been sitting you know, doing nothing for four months. It's like, I, I feel, I feel like that about life anyway, let alone doing, you know, being an athlete. Do you know what I mean? I guess I do completely understand the circumstances we're working under and how difficult it is. So I don't want it to come across that I don't. Um, but it's but just, it's, other, you know, other people have done it. So at the, at the same time, there's a lot that isn't sitting easy with me about what they've said and how we've played. And yeah. I, but the people who are doing the teams that are doing it 
are the relegation dogfight teams, who we've been beaten by two of them, Luton also doing well. The teams in the promotion, yes, Leeds lost to Cardiff, but apart from that, they've done well. Brentford are doing well. And some of the teams around the playoff places, like Cardiff. So but, but, those but, are the teams you know, that are handling it well. Bristol are, yeah. Bristol are falling apart. But, you know... Derby were not far away from us, about level with us. When when this all started, I've, just, I've got Derby on in front of me. They've just won again. First away clean sheet of the year. They've come back with three wins. So they've gone from the sort of position we were in right into the playoff picture, just with three wins like that. So, But they set themselves the expectation. They were, they were always talking about playoffs. That was always the narrative around that club and, the, and returning as well. We never had that. I don't- I don't want to give us another excuse, but I can't help but feel like our squad size and our style of play has hampered us as well. I just think when you, when you need the amount of movement, the amount of chance creation that we rely on, and you have players like Bright, Chen, Eze, that need to be going at full whack, going at full pace, uh, I, I just can't help but feel like we're just not suited to this kind of weird, dead atmosphere, middle of, you know, high temperatures, I just I can't help but feel like so often in these games we're just not clicking and it, it there's been for the first half of the season like we said we, we really celebrated even in losses like how uh, much cohesion there was and so I think the lack of cohesion is just like there to see and it's think, not like an excuse but it depends how you look at it listen I know what you're saying with a high tempo and everything else and blah blah but a lot of the time in Eze's defence and Bright Samuels there's no one ahead of them so they have to hang on to the ball for as long as possible and that's where I think playing Chur gives us an option because Chur can hold on to a wee bit, bring players in a bit more. And that's down to put, yeah, it's a fair point, Theodore. I, I agree with that, but I'd like to see Chur get more game time because I think there we have a gem. I think it's, it, at first it didn't seem like Pew was a big loss, but we kind of forget how much like 30 minutes of Pew and 60 minutes of Chur or vice versa. Like it forms the narrative of a game, and you get that impact. And I think even you know earlier on in the season, Bright was on the bench, and Bright was an impact player. And I think I we're also, really lacking an impact. It's not only just the impact, but as well, but it's just also providing someone who's you've got to watch your back because they're fighting for that for your place. We don't have that at all now. I can I, I can only assume that the chair thing is a, a fitness thing or an injury thing. I don't I don't know what you guys thought, but I felt like chair was probably our best player for an hour. Yeah, exactly. Time. That's why I was and surprised. He, I was and I hope surprised. it's just a fitness thing. And then he got he got taken off and then only got a minute last night. So I Yeah. You know, I can only assume that's one of these fitness things that we we don't see behind closed doors because that seemed really odd to me. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he was doubled up as a goalkeeping coach. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think there's a bit of politics going on with Bright and Amos. I felt like last night uh Amos was left out there kind of as a statement from Orbiton, as in like, you're going to play yourself out of your slump. And I think it's kind of the same with Bright. I kind of felt like a lot of players, a lot of managers would have dropped Bright and Charlton. And I kind of felt like Wolverton was the same. Like, that was unacceptable. Show me a better performance. And so I think it's, again, I think he's, he's, there's a lot of politics with the players rather than necessarily like, this is going to give us the best team to win. And I just think, yeah, again, I don't want to keep giving excuses, but I just feel like it's a, we're balancing all these things at the same time. And uh, I think, it's going to be hard to win on Sunday when Middlesbrough, I think, are going to have a much more... They're going to have a plan, they're going to have one idea, and they're going to know how to beat us, and especially with those from set pieces. I, I can already see it. I can already see the British yeah. set piece off. I think, I think we've done really well to represent 
I think a lot of what people are feeling, a lot of pockets and a lot of frustration and some, some excuses uh, as well as some kind of benefit of the doubt, but of the, of the obvious frustration and kind of real um, disappointment that a lot of fans are, are feeling. And I think we've all kind of reflected that in what we've said and the way we've looked at it. And I think it's been a really fair assessment of this comeback as well. And I just hope, um, things are going to look a bit different, but let's let's wrap it up with ours end um, because we'll be coming back and doing this all over again. You know, <laughs> in, in, in not too long. So I don't want us to spend our whole evening doing it. Oh, uh, I want me to do Wigan. Shall I? Shall I talk about Wigan? What on earth? Yeah, yeah, we can talk about that. And as Finney mentioned, it's probably um, probably saved us a little bit. Claire, before you start, I am right in thinking they're new owners, aren't they? They only came in about three or four weeks ago. Oh, my God, that's yeah. wrong. Yeah. There's, there's clearly a lot to come out of this and something dodgy going on because Wigan were bought from the Whelan family. Dave Whelan's grandson, I think, was the was the chairman there until about 18 yeah. months ago. Yeah. They got bought out by one Far East consortium. I remember last time we were up there, they were talking about this takeover from China and Hong Kong that had kind of been in the offing for ages. That went through 18 months ago. A month ago, they were passed from one Far East consortium to another in another takeover. And within a month of the EFL signing off on that, today they've gone into administration. Um, so it's, it's another, gr- another amazing roaring success for, the, for the, the EFL and the financial fair play and the fit and proper person test you know congratulations for that it's really done its uh, done its work again and done its job for a community asset that's now you know in this situation where i mean they get they get deducted 12 points if they don't go down if that makes sense so if they go down anyway the points come off next season if they don't go down the 12 points come off and that might I thought they that. hadn't decided that yet. No, they the put points. a statement out like tonight. Okay. The NFL said it's 12 points off. If they get relegated anyway, then the 12 points come off next year. Uh, if they stay up this year, then the 12 points come off. So basically it means they have to finish 13 points or more away from the bottom foot, bottom three, which actually the way they're playing, the results they've got um, isn't that far-fetched. And they've got, they've got some favourable fixtures. They get, they've still got to play Hull and Barnsley. And QPR yeah. at home, which is basically an absolute, you know, so Woo! that's three straight away back on the board. So there's some suggestion that they've done it on purpose, thinking that they're going to stay up, write the debt off, buy the club back for a pound and, you know, ride off into the sunset. But how on earth can a club go through a takeover and then one month later go into administration? And, you know, they put out a statement blaming the COVID crisis and Brexit. They bought the club a month ago. You know, COVID COVID and Brexit were very, you know, very front and centre of mind a month ago. You can't buy a club at the start of June and then at the end of June shove it into administration and go, well, it's tough, isn't it, with COVID and Brexit? Uh, There's there's so much more to come out of it. Um, And obviously, you know, actually quite good for us because it shoves another team 12 points lower than us with Mm. six games to go. So to for Wigan to go above us now, they kind of have to win all six games and us lose all six. So, you know, good for us, but also just weird, obviously bent, so much to come out and, and sad and, and corrupt. Another feather in the EFL's cap. But, I mean, also you've got to look at Charlton as well, Clive. What's happened there is, is, is just a, a bigger farce as and well. And they still managed to beat us. 
Ah, Jesus, a friggin' BB team could beat us at the moment sometimes if they shoot from 50 yards. But, I mean, it's, it's true. The fit and proper thing is, is a fast run. The EFL are not fit for purpose. And we've said this a long time. They should be replaced and get rid of because they're letting communities down. It's not football clubs letting down. It's community clubs letting down because these clubs are part of the communities. And they're just shit. <laughs> I don't. I don't yeah. see how. I don't see how a um, a well-run, well-functioning football governing body can allow one of its members, member clubs, to be passed from one Far East consortium to another, and then within a month collapse into administration. Like whoever is in charge of that competition is asleep at the wheel. I've got a nice holders. Yep. Um, any more for any more? None of them said that they're corrupt or bent, but I'd like to see where they've got on holder. <laughs> I was just going to add a uh, kind of more positive RZN, uh, which is I would just oh, recommend any QPR fan to, you know, grab a mask, go for a walk, maybe call a QPR fan you love and you haven't seen at the pub, or you, haven't had, you, know, you can't get to the game with and just check in on them, say hi, maybe film a TikTok of your favourite QPR goal and send it to a loved one. Take a deep breath. Um, it's all going to be all right, you know. Clive uh, loves TikTok. I think. I think what you're looking for, Theodore, is when this this will pass. Is what you're saying. This this, this too well, shall pass. I think. I think everyone. I think it's really important to get space right now and, and check in on your mental health and, and check in on those on those really? you have connections with and maybe even missing them. And I think, like you know, Clive's brilliant piece you posted last week. Like, in a weird way, these results mean less because we're missing the thing we love the most, which is the community and the fans. So. You know, whatever happens on Sunday, check in on your community, check in on your friends, check in on those at the club that mean something and, 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 and turn up and perform for them. So that's what I'd say. You just, actually, that was my hour's end. After being telling Clive off earlier on, I have to say that was possibly one of the best football articles I've ever read in my life. And I hit myself for saying this. I don't even want to drink off your Clive. I don't want nothing. We shall never talk about this again, but bloody hell, mate, did you make a lot of people's eyes go wet. Amazing article and just beautiful. Well done. If yeah. anybody wants to like pay me a salary for this, get in, <laughs> get in touch. <laughs> and he just ruined it. The other thing, <laughs> the other thing I just like to say is a is a, a fellow knew years ago. He's he's just had a heart attack called Mark Thornhill, uh, last week, and he's fighting for his life in East London in um, St Bart. So thoughts to any of his family who listen to this podcast. I've known Mark since nineteen ninety. So. That's sad. So in reality terms, football is 90 minutes of frustration, but real life right there, and Theodore was quite right. Look after everyone. You know, we're always going to be here, but make sure we're always okay to be here. Yeah, lots of love to Mark. That's, that, that is the important thing. I can't believe I praise Clive. I feel really, really dirty. Anything, anything else, Clive? Nothing else to add now you've had that um, compliment from Finney. Speechless. He's hitting the wine. But and also, wow, jeez, I've got to do it again. Oh, also, Clive, um, you might want to mention this. Um, yesterday, I know Cindy went down to to say goodbye to Jerry. Again, another thing that Clive. Yeah, I mean, it, stop doing it, Clive. Can you make me say nice things? Like, but well done because that that was a beautiful thing you did well yesterday as well. There were, there were hundreds. There were hundreds of people down there yesterday. It was great. It was great to see. Got a got a proper send off. Big big stand innovation as he left the pub. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, not not the best start to what turned out to be a shit day. But he, he, you know, great great send off. Nice to see everybody. 
I'd rather yeah, have a good still... than the than the win against Fulham at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, there's I, still I, a lot. There's still a lot of positives to take from the community if um, if we're doing the, the work off the pitch that maybe we wish that others were doing on the pitch. But um, thanks. Thanks, as always, for listening. Um, thanks to Theo for being one of our patrons. We've still got a few more patrons to get on before this um, horrible period of games ends. So I'm sure David will be sorting that out with whoever you are. And if you would like to be a patron and you too could be sitting in Theo's shoes and being miserable about QPR, then please do head to the Open All Ours website and you can find out on there how to donate or just send us some beers, basically just send Peronis or um, cider to Finney once we come out of lockdown because we're not doing home deliveries at the moment, sadly. At the moment, they'll do with dog chews. Every frigging podcast, towards the end, Snoopy decides to go on one. I don't think he's a fan of the five three two. Five, whatever he, he wants, four, four, two, with two grits strapping forwards and f- running fullbacks and wingers. But I've told him to shut up now. <laughs> Sign him Matt, up. Though, you've been a very good guest. You've been excellent. You're much better than your sister. Cheers. <laughs> 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 <laughs>